Hey there, and welcome to Time for Chai, the podcast series where leaders in manufacturing, commodities, risk, supply chain management, and digital technology come to share truly actionable insight based on real-world experiences. I'm your host, Jake Jacobs, Head of Growth at Chai. So today, Tom Brady, Executive Director of the JP Morgan Center for Commodities at the University of Colorado, Denver, and I are really excited to welcome Andrew Glass. Andrew is a commodities leader who has expertise spanning agri, bulk, and metals. He's had a diverse career in commodities across four continents and a variety of disciplines with a range of trading and financial organizations such as Bungie, Noble, Mercuria, as well as ANZ Bank. In 2017, Andrew founded Avatar Commodities, which successfully designed, built, and delivered significant change and value for Anglo-American, primarily for risk mitigation. Following this, he joined them as head of financial trading, so obviously a massive vindication of the work that he'd done there previously. Now, Andrew focuses on capturing opportunity for commodity price-exposed clients with risk mitigation as the foundation to develop sustainable, solution-driven value of stakeholders. I know that Andrew is someone with uh, very interesting views of commodities markets, sometimes quite contrarian, so we're really, really excited to have Andrew on the show. Andrew, great to have you on. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. So, yes, uh, great to have you on the show, uh, Andrew. Um, you know, kind of just uh, jumping right into it, you know, in terms of the, the, the economic situation, the global situation right now, we've had a lot of folks on the, on the show from, from the UK, Europe, and in the US. How are, uh, how are things in Asia? Um, Asia is a fascinating market to be in. I've been here for almost 10 years. I love it. Second stint as well. I mean, the world really is looking to China. China led us out of the, the financial crisis in 2008. Um, China has been the behemoth that's grown at an exponential pace. Um, doesn't, and most of us will be aware of the history of China's growth. So being close to China and being out here in Asia in the time zone is, is, is great for, for the commodities industry, I find. Um, and understand the way they think, because it's very different. If you try and take Western mindset to how Chinese organizations operate in the trading space in particular, you can get hosed very, very easily, right? It doesn't dance to the beat of the same drum. And I think when we look at something particularly like iron ore, I've never seen a more concentrated commodity as far as the demand structure is concerned. I would argue that almost all commodities, if not all commodities, actually, the participants are price takers. And the price is largely determined by policy, particularly on a global commodity. If we take iron ore, I'd argue that effectively price is, is defined by a table in Beijing and it percolates out around the world. Now, right now, price is shifting because of fear and fear is a very strong emotive to drive price and it creates asymmetric price risk, I think. But that's particularly now. But everyone needs to keep a very close eye on China because, as I said, they define the price direction through policy. And then you have to manoeuvre within that to be able to make money. The second point about being out here in Asia too is that conversation about non-Western style economic decision making. You'll see steel mills in, in China, for example, that will continue to produce at negative margins for well in excess of a year. Uh, they can go two years with negative margins. But, but it's a critical industry. So as long as they can survive, they will get support from the government. It will eventually come. They just have to hang on. So where a Western mill should sh shut down and they're going to scream for government support, etc., it's not the same economics out here. Um, so the way you trade needs to evolve. And so I, I thoroughly 
And most people will take time out in Asia, and I totally recommend that people do take a bit of t more time even out in Asia to understand the mentality. And you need to be on the ground, talk to people. Unfortunately, we can't fly at the moment, but when we can, that's important. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's interesting. So, Andrew, uh, you know, and when you think about the threats and opportunities associated with the current situation, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts there? Personally, I look at this as, well, let, let me start with, with more the community, right? Obviously, this is a big impact on the community. It's a, it's a significant social change for everyone. It's dangerous. Uh, we've seen significant deaths, obviously, around the world, and, and you're calling in from the United States, and, and so you'd be acutely aware of how dangerous this is. That's the first issue. And the world's grappling with that and, and, and different ways of managing that. The second issue is that I think broadly across the community, there's a lot of, again, I'll get back to that word, fear, um, which, is, which is a critical word, I think, at the moment, and how the community is reacting. It's great to see that people actually are listening, particularly out here in Asia. Uh, we generally have a pretty compliant population, particularly here in Singapore. So I think we're in a good place. Um, the government seems to be doing a pretty good job. I do think, though, that that fear can be turned into an opportunity. And I would like to see that people see this as an opportunity. And I like to talk in, in, in a lot of the conversations I have with leaders is looking forward into 10 years time, 20 years time. What do you want to, people will study this. This period in time will be looked back on and there will be, I mean, you're coming from the academia area. There will be so many studies on this, this time. So we are living history right now. So think about how you want to be remembered. Think about what you're doing now and what you're not doing now and make a difference. And leaders need to look after their people. They need to look after their organisation. And if they have the power to access capital, then I think they should be taking some responsibility across their ecosystem to keep people employed, to keep the wheels turning as best they can, to come up with solution mindset. We, we tend to see in a lot of commodities a very transactional mindset. And I think we need to really, this hopefully will push us down a direction of a shift to a much more solution-orientated mindset. And a lot of leaders struggle with that kind of concept because they're used to steady as she goes and it's worked for them for a long time. So, and that's what I do with my business is to try and help these leaders inject a little bit of different thinking, different DNA into their teams to help them prepare and be ready to contribute during this period. It's not going to finish tomorrow. It's not going to finish probably by the end of the year. So we've got time, but you need to move now. And there's massive amount of opportunity, I think, here, if you, if you frame it the right way. You know, just kind of building on that, that that's really, uh, what is that interesting, Andrew? Just building on that, you know, when you're talking to some of these leaders in, in the commodity space, you know, what kind of thoughts and advice might you give them to capture this, these opportunities so their businesses aren't just surviving, but they're actually going to thrive post, uh, you know, post the virus? Yeah, I mean, like I was saying earlier too, first and foremost is your people. You've got to make sure they're safe. The second thing is the safety of your organisation. And the third thing, though, is going to be the reach out. Um, I like to talk about using these and this in ratio, right? I think we need to listen more. I think we need to collaborate more with that. I mean, a lot of these organisations, particularly big ones, will have them emblazoned across their walls as values. This is a time to live your values, right? Mm -hmm. Collaboration, solutions accountability, um, innovation. That's a key word too right now. I mean, we need, as humanity, we need to innovate right now. We need to be creativity. We need to be truly embracing that, not just a word. So the conversation I'm having with leaders is you know, that stepped approach where you're looking after people, you're looking after your organisation. I think you need, a lot of them will need help 
and it takes humility as well, right? And that's also difficult for some, is that is look for the help to inject the DNA to take your high potentials within your teams and say, right, I'm bringing in some external thinking. We're going to try and position ourselves to evolve, to be solution mindset, and so we can contribute to our ecosystem as best we can. Um, and I think that's going to be, that is going to be really important. Now, even just in the sphere of in commodities, it's often seen as a bit of a old school, I'm um, going to speak to a lot of students, do presentations here in Singapore to, to some of the universities, and it's seen as a bit passe a lot of the time in commodities. Now, I hear people talk about attracting talent, what talent attraction is going to look like in the next 10 years. Again, leaders have the chance now to stand out, to differentiate themselves, to live the values, to help the ecosystem, to help society, and to take innovation leaps in environmental impact as well, for example. And that is also what talent is going to look at. You're going to want to work for a leader and an organisation that's actually walked the talk when it really, really matters. And this is some of the, the conversation. I mean, there's, there's the risk management I do, which is helping companies understand their risk, quantify it, the risk diagnostic I do for them, and then we help sort of solve the risk internally, and that's extremely important. But there's this existential level too that that facilitates, that conversation facilitates that. It's part of delivering that. And just some fantastic insights so far. And, you know, it's really, really interesting to hear your perspective because, a lot of the folks that we've spoken to, you know, so far, phenomenal experts in their own rights, you know, they're, they're operating in specific businesses or specific kind of verticals, whereas, you know, from what you're doing, you've got that really interesting, unique vantage point looking across a number of different organizations and, and talking to leaders making the key decisions that matters, you know, so it's so, so interesting to hear, hear what you're saying. Um, how do you think this situation will affect the adoption of digital technology for corporates, you know, pivoting a little bit? I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on, on that. Um, that's a great question. I mean, this gets back to that sort of core word that we were using, I mean, innovation, right? I mean, I think that this is this has forced a lot of incumbents in the industry who have been very comfortable with status quo. I think we, we find, and it's human nature, right? It's human nature. So I don't think we can be judged. It is what it is. Um, and it doesn't matter. And at all levels of organisations, both public and private, most people don't like change. Right? Change, is, change is risky. Change encompasses a lot of unknowns for people. Most people like a standard operating procedure. They like to know they're going to work each day. They get their paycheck and stuff as well. I mean, it's, it's, and again, it's fully understandable, right? This, though is creating the opportunity to turbo-inject mm. the digitalization of commodity right across, right across yeah. all different industries, but particularly commodities, I think. Um, there's been a lot of talk about it. There's been a lot of proliferation of digital technologies, I think, around mm -hmm. the world. Here in Singapore, we have, these, we have these incubator hubs where the government is trying very hard to stimulate and, and encourage and fund and, and um, new innovation. Uh, in the space. They've got a group called Pier 71, for example, which is worth having a look at if anyone's interested in that, more maritime yeah. focus around commodities. Um, so there is definitely a move in that way, but the adoption, I think, has been the issue. That's been the hurdle. Um, and hopefully COVID, and it feels like it is moving in this direction, COVID will bring us to the inflection point of adoption. I would like to see, and I think is what is needed, I think most of my career has been in agri, the agri-industry, I think, is a good one to look at because they're able to work together 
Mm. There's a lot of hurdles in it. There's a lot of challenges. There's antitrust issues and, and all the rest of it. But I think when we look at digital adoption within agri, the big behemoths in, in the agri world, um, you know, Cargill, Dreyfus, Bungie, Kofco, they've been able to get together and, and work on this together. Now, I consistently said when I worked in, moved into the mining world that the mining companies often stand behind issues of antitrust and they are real issues. But I think they need to find a way to work together to solve this problem together. And we see announcements coming out in the media about the big producers putting up in lights that they've done a digital transaction. BHP was the latest just recently. Yeah, yeah. Leo's done it previously. You know, Anglo will talk about what they've done. And, um, you know, FMG's done some work. They've all done work in Vale. They've all done work in this space, but they tend to kind of reinvent the wheel each, each of them. Mm. And I think that that fragmentation is a major hurdle to getting to that inflection point. Um, so I, I would thoroughly, and coming from different commodities, I try and bring the best practice from ones and experience that I've had across those. And I think that there is a lot of room for organisations like yourself that mm. bring people together and, and try and think across the silos and, and share best practice with each other because I'm passionate about the evolution of the industry for the benefit of everyone involved. That's humanity, sure. humanity, society, environment, the whole lot. I really think there should be a much bigger move to that, that collaboration across industry. I think that, you know, that really comes across. And again, it's, it's fantastic to hear that, Andrew, both because um, it's quite encouraging, but also I think it's quite vindicating, you know, for me sitting here now and, and some of the stuff you're, you're saying as well around the role that this pandemic, one of the, the silver linings, I guess, if we can call it that, is going to be that people are a lot more focused in their efforts, which they, which are now indisputably kind of necessary to adopt digital technologies for the right reasons in projects that are very well defined with clear you know outcomes to, to be achieved not just wishful thinking with no end goal so yeah it all sounds really really positive i think now what are you advising folk what are you talking to folk in the industry about when it comes to prioritizing some of these different kinds of you know applications digital technologies the, the technologies themselves where should they be focusing from a, an innovation perspective? Can we kind of get more into the, the granular detail there? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, I've always believed that any, any trading, any risk management, any digitalization needs to be built on the twin platform of transparency and accountability. Yeah. Um, and that, they, are, they are fundamental twin towers that can you then build innovation on. And that's non-negotiable as far as I'm concerned because that allows you the right to grow Mm-hmm. It gives people confidence in what you're doing. A lot of the time, I find that when I try and talk about, because I do physical and financial risk, right? But particularly when it comes to financial risk and how to manage that risk, for a lot of people, it's an abstract concept, right? particularly for people who are engineers. I've got the utmost respect for engineers. I'm not. I don't think I could ever do it. Sure. Um, so, but I have, yeah, while I have the utmost respect, I think that there, there, there tends to be a bit of a, a mental hurdle a lot of the time because of the way that they they're taught to solve problems. Traders generally solve problems in multi-dimensionals and we're not looking for ones and zeros. We're looking for, we're looking for probability and we make mm-hmm. fast decisions based on the best information we can get available. It's very important to do post-mortems on that decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get back to the, to, the, to the point and the issue, I think, with the adoption is I think I spend a lot of time helping organisations, trying to demystify it, but it's not as dangerous as what you think. We read reports about companies like Hin Leong out here in Asia blowing up, and that's that's very 
unhelpful for the industry, and that's that's not a, not ideal at all, and that becomes an even greater hurdle. And then we get back to this word fear, right? So I want to demystify it, um, and I think the same issues exist for digitalization for a lot of practitioners who've been in for a long, long time. We've got careers, right, in, in positions of leadership across commodities. It's often hard to conceptualise what that digital digitalization is going to do. And it ain't broke, don't fix it, is kind of somewhat of the mentality. So that's where I'm helping this, this turmoil of COVID, um, working from home, forcing your execution team. Often execution and operations team are nowhere near as well respected and paid, et cetera, for the impact they have because it's not upside really they protect it from blowing up to the downside right so it's yeah. kind of it's often it's often you know not seen in the light that it should be the positive light and and, and the amount that they contribute to the organization but hopefully hopefully this event will bring people to start thinking a lot more uh, broadly about those abstract concepts mm-hmm. that can really change their business and from the another point if we really want to drive innovation, a lot of, and particularly in digital space, et cetera, um, but also particularly from a societal standpoint when we talk about ESG and the environment, a lot of journalist friends of mine have always said, if you want to drive change, follow the money, right? And it's, that gives people an epiphany because if you're, a, if you're a change agent, then if you can work with the investors, the major investors of those organisations, that's where the pressure on incumbent leaders that are being laggards and don't necessarily want to change. Mm. Sometimes they need not just a carrot, but they need a stick. Um, unfortunately, right? I'm going to say it how it is. It's, it is what it is, right? So, yeah. so that's another way to skin the cat, right? And to mm. encourage kind of innovation and the adoption of that innovation. And, and activist investors are becoming much louder and much bigger. Sovereign wealth funds right, are really starting to push an agenda of ESG. And digitalization, I've seen many different kinds of digitalization I'm now involved in, 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 uh, in carbon and, and some emissions businesses. And it's really interesting to see the push that's being put on now. So again, I think that will be an inflection point that will also support digitalization because we need that transparency. You know, uh- Andrew, from my experience, you know, working in, in the mining business for, for a good chunk of my career, you know, I'd always see when prices went, were going well, you saw a lot of firms, yep, we're going we're gonna to really embrace technology and innovation and digitization. And then once the price rolled over, oh, we're not doing that. And what, what any advice that you might have to, to firms out there that, you know, that face that commodity price cycle? Um, have you seen any 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 firms really doing well to to get to get around that? And you know, you know, we're, we're carving a path forward regardless, or in terms of best practices. Yeah, look, I mean, I think again, again, cross across commodity knowledge sharing, I think could really really influence some change and really help with that that challenge that you just outlined. But I've seen I've seen examples, and I use case studies to help people understand. I mean, there was a great example of Atlas in Australia. I mean, you, I'm not sure if people are aware of, of it's a junior miner. Um, they had an offtake in late 2016. They were forced to put a financial structure around their offtakes, right? A collar, 
effectively. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I protected them at fifty dollars, and I think they gave up the upside at seventy bucks. I mean, it's all out there in the public domain. And the thing with that is, come January, late December, January of that period, we had catastrophic price for iron ore just dropped to thirty-seven bucks, thirty-five, thirty-seven. Now, if they didn't have that structure in place with their offtake, which they were forced into, they would have been dead buried tombstone on top, right? No zombie coming out of that grave. Yeah. And and what then happened is then in March, or to get my numbers right, but about that time, about going into Q2 of 2017, prices started to rally past 70 bucks. And people started pointing the finger saying, oh, this is what they've done. They've given up upside. No, they are still alive and they are printing money there. So, you know, they would have yeah. been, again, they would have been out if it hadn't been for that. And it's a great case study. And what I like to use that case study about is proactivity. And, and I use that to tell a story to illustrate proactivity is what's important. Sometimes it's forced on you, but those that actually proactively look, by the time the horse is bolted, there's no point shutting the gate, right? We have to, while the horses are there and you can see the storm clouds on the horizon, then that's the time to really, preferably you do it when it's sunny, right? The fields are great. We're full of feed, there's clover everywhere, great. That would be the ideal time. But if you do see clouds coming, then move quick, sharp. But be proactive, not reactive. And proactivity and preparing will allow you to be reactive when you need to because the tools are already there for you to utilise. But don't be closing that gate when the horse is gone. Great, Andrew. That's, uh, how about, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, are you particularly excited about any specific innovations or advances in technology uh, in terms of the commodity markets? Um, well, I think that the execution, the trade flows, there's plenty of sort of providers out there that are, that are giving access or building access to these innovative solutions. I think they can streamline the process behind um, commodity flows extremely well. That also brings transparency in price, and I'm a big fan of transparency in price. I think that also allows the whole industry to be able to be more efficient um, and the end consumer getting the, getting the best price. The other thing that I'm quite passionate about too and coming from the agri-industry in particular out here with palm oil, for example, is traceability comes from also digitalization uh, and innovation around there. And it's been done in a reasonable, reasonably good way with the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil. They've made some decent, pretty good inroads, but there's still a lot of work to do. And I think this is the area that should get a lot more attention because I think the world is also changing as far as globalization to localization off the back of this as well. So these kind of huge changes that are going to come off the back of this, I think are just a glaring opportunity. We don't want to miss this. These kind of opportunities don't come around very often, but in, in all areas. I work with Weimar Women in Mining and Resources, working on, on diversity and inclusion. And that's another area that the commodity industry really has a significant amount of work to do. And if we think about, we've talked about digitalization, we've talked about risk, we've talked about innovation. For me, D&I shouldn't even need to be discussed because if we want innovation, which is where true value comes from, then you want people making the decision around the table who come from different perspective. That's how you get creativity. That's how you get innovation. So I kind of don't like to see D&I on KPIs. I know we have to drive the behavior, but I wish that we in the commodities industry can embrace the value of innovation and then back and then it forces DNI, right? And it forces change. Yeah. 
So yeah, I think in in the quantities industry, I hope can really leverage off this 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 fantastic yeah. opportunity we've got to change. Great, great. And what role do you do? You, uh, what about the role of data and predictive intelligence for risk management? What, what are your thoughts there? I honestly think that that has been a long, long, long time coming. The innovation that we've seen. I mean, I used to go in, when I was working for Boeing in the United States. We used to do crop tours, right? Go out and count the rows of corn. I'm probably showing my age there, but yeah, that was our competitive advantage for years, for decades, was going out and just building these data sets and we had it. We knew what was going to happen when weather patterns went through because we'd been collecting this stuff. I mean, now, uh, that was great at the time, but it's next to worthless now, really, because the, the sharing of that information everywhere allows a lot more transparency in pricing and understanding which way the market's going to go. So... Does that help with volatility? Yes, I believe it does help with volatility. Um, it helps with predictability. So that's just one area. But predictive analytics, I think, are going to really be a driving force that needs to get a lot more momentum behind it. And we've got to learn, again, this idea of, of sharing knowledge across industries. I mean, if some of the hedge funds, the HFT funds that are really good at leveraging this, whether it be for equities or other products, we could share that information. Right? Or share, share the technology that's involved in that or share the learnings even. If people don't know, obviously a lot of that technology is, is proprietary of, of, of nature. But to share that the journey they took, right? And then, then sharing that journey and telling stories is extremely important because then that allows people to find an affinity with that and go, hang on a second, that can work. And epiphany comes, right, let's drive that now in our organisation. So, yeah, I mean, it's got a massive amount of value. But again, we get back to the inflection point argument, right? Yeah, yeah. Really, really great stuff. And, and, you know, again, very interesting to hear your perspective on data and predictive intelligence. It does really feel from my vantage point that there are certain businesses that have harnessed this competitive advantage that they're able to get from things like alternative data and be able to make use of it as well. Because it takes, you know, very, very niche technical skills to make sense of all of this data that you can get access to, although it's very, very difficult to get access to and very expensive, you know? So when, when you kind of look at all of that in comparison, oh, sorry, you know, in a cumulative sense, I mean, that's kind of the point of what we're doing, right? So interesting to hear you say that, Andrew. Um, now, pivoting slightly, actually going back a little bit to your comment earlier, the work that you're doing and, and how you're involved with the uh, women in money and resources. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the role of diversity and inclusion in the commodities world and, and just how, you know, this can really galvanize uh, innovative thinking and, and, you know, progression for the commodity space moving forward? Yeah, look, I probably tick all the boxes as to the ones, the sort of incumbents, I suppose. I mean, uh, middle-aged white Australian male. <laughs> but what we, need for, what we need for diversity and inclusion too is we need advocates and we need voices that are from the privileged set. And we see this with you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and stuff as well. I mean, we, we are privileged. We're born with that. And recognising that is the first step. And then I think I, I'm, I'm passionate about the value that diversity and inclusion brings, right? I don't, I, I honestly, I just don't like it as a KPI. I think that that belittles the value of diversity and inclusion, right? And too many people can't see past that, unfortunately. But that's why we need leaders and we need advocates from the privileged set that are driving this, 
you know, so, so your, your organisation for able to propagate this thinking and particularly because you're, you've been driving and your organisation driving in innovation, digitalisation. So that is an area that we can harness to also pull along diversity and inclusion because I find it comes from value, is driven by innovation and that differentiates a business which also creates value but it anchors on innovation. That innovation, again, getting back to the example of sitting around the table, if it's all a bunch of, you know, stale white males talking about the same stuff they've always done, protecting their position because they feel a little bit under, under threat, that's not going to drive innovation. How can they be innovative, right? They haven't had the, the difficulties. So I think I really see that the thinking, thought diversity is the issue. Thought diversity creates the innovation and creates the value, right? And thought diversity around that table when there's a problem chucked in the middle of it and we brainstorm it, Thought diversity comes from different backgrounds coming. Then you get onto that conversation of bias and the unconscious bias that people have. That's important as well. And as a trader, frankly, for me, bias can be a positive and negative thing. I live off my gut instinct too in a lot of ways because I've been there, done that, I've got the scars, I've made mistakes. Any trader tells you hasn't is full of it. Those scars are something to be proud of. Now they form bias. You walking through the grass and get bitten by a snake and you're lucky enough to survive, you avoid a snake next time, right? So bias can be very positive, but it's the negative bias that we need to challenge so that we can actually harness and, and grow that kind of innovation that's going to create the value. Um, and that will differentiate organisations. And getting back to something I said earlier too, if we think about the next 10 years and how we look back at this time and what we've made of this time, it's going to be important also in, in capturing and, and nurturing the talent for the next 10 years too. So I want that in, you know, I'm passionate about having that in in leaders' minds as they think about nurturing that talent through. Awesome. Andrew, I I saw that, uh, you know, um, you've recently given a a guest lecture at NTU in Singapore. You know, what advice would you give students looking to forge a career in the commodity space? I always start those kind of lectures basically saying, look at your phone, look at your laptop, look at the clothes you're wearing, the food that's in your guts. That's all commodities. Right. This is an industry that will, I mean, it's the second oldest industry in the world, if we want to put it that way, right? So at the end of the day, this is something that's fundamental to humanity. And when I have those lectures, I also like to put up two slides. I like to put up a, a picture of a data center, right? All the wires and stuff going everywhere. Now, is that more exciting to go and visit? Or is it more exciting to go and visit a port or the local pub with a farmer, a sheep farmer, or, or meet a driller when he's come off the rig? I mean, honestly, I love the people that are involved in this industry. And I consider that I'm privileged to be part of this industry. I'm passionate. I love it, right? But it's about the people and it's about the fundamental nature of it. Even if you're sitting behind a screen and you're facilitating the movement of a product, you're hedging a product, you're helping people through that ecosystem get access to food, to energy, to the products that they will need now and into the future. And the more efficiently we can do that, the better that is for the society, for society and the environment. And we see this move to hydrogen economy. Our grades that, right? So I think that these kind of evolutions, and this is what I try and exude the passion that I have for the industry and encourage students to think that it is extremely exciting. You travel around the world doing it, right? I put panels together when I go and visit these universities too and get diverse experience out there so that students can ask questions. But yeah, I want them to go away and I want that, th- that thinking to resonate that this is a really exciting industry to be in, full of fantastic opportunities 
for all kinds of people all around the world. And you're actually contributing, by participating in this industry, you're contributing to something. I mean, if you want to just sell, I don't know, cigarettes or uh, widgets or whatever it is, frankly, I've never found that interesting. Bonds, FX, you know, it's, it's, I want to touch it and I feel it and I want to meet the people and I want to dig around. It's fun. Boy, I, you are just echoing exactly what uh, what we're trying to do with that with the J.P. Morgan Center for Commodities. You know, it, uh, CU Denver itself is or the business school. You know, we're right in a, it's an urban location. Lots of first generation minority students that particularly don't maybe they don't even come from a commodity background. You know, but just trying to get that exposure to wow, you can have such an exciting career in this space. So I I love hearing that. That's that's great, Andrew. Um, you know, as far as the students that might be, be listening, you know, what, what, what types of courses would you advise that, uh, that they start to focus in on? <laughs> Honestly, I, I, should read a lot, I should read a lot more. I should study a lot more. My personal way of doing it, and I'm just going to reflect on that, right, is that I love meeting people and talking to people, right? And I think I learn much, much more from that. I would encourage, I see, I, I try and help, I do mentoring too, and I, I try and help my mentees really break out, contribute to the industry, jump on panels, have discussions, share your thoughts. Young people have a different way of thinking than what I do, right? Their, their, their adoption rate of new technology is greater and they have something to say, right? So from my perspective, I like to see more engagement. I want to see them reach out to speak to leaders more. The academic side of things, I, look, I, I totally agree and it gives you that that strong solid foundation for you to make decisions and give you the confidence to make decisions but my advice is to reach out find a mentor in the industry it's it's always i always i will always make time to have a conversation with a student that reaches out after i go to someone like ntu to do a presentation because i like it and i want if they're showing that initiative i want to encourage that initiative because initiative is a very important part of performing one's career so from my perspective, it's very much reach out for real people, reach out for mentors, don't be afraid to ask questions, get out there, get amongst it, go to industry events, introduce yourself, meet people, don't be afraid to approach senior leaders because it's an ego trip as well, right? I mean, young people come and sort of go, oh, you know, I'd love to hear what you've got to say about the industry and most of them, most of them will make time for you. Don't be afraid of that. Sorry, yeah. I'm, not supporting, I'm not supporting the academic side so much, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. But that's great advice, though. So, you know, kind of last question for me, uh, Andrew, you know, for those that are that are looking back over your career in commodities, you know, any other advice that, that you would suggest to those new to the space? Um, probably go back to the what I just said, right? I mean, get out there and meet people. This is a people industry, right? And it's unfortunate yeah. we can't fly around at the moment with this COVID, but that time will come back again. Um, you know, web gives us the opportunity to do this right now. I mean, we're covering the world here, you know, to Asia, Europe, the Americas. I mean, it's, it's awesome. We can do this yeah. from our lips. But honestly, it, nothing will replace also going and having a beer with someone. If, you know, and if you don't drink, you go and have a coffee with them. You, you feel them. You, you generate an, an affinity with them. And that opens up opportunities. They're the people you want to deal with. You, Everyone does it, right? Think about, think about what you're doing. Everyone who's listening, you scan your emails in the morning and, okay, there's the important ones, but you also open the ones of the people you like. And it's just human nature to prioritise that. So this is a human industry. This is a people industry, and it's a lot of fun. So get out there. Yeah. Awesome Excellent. stuff. Awesome stuff. Well, what, Tom, I don't know about you, but, you know, one of the things that I love with this project is that everyone we speak to 
has a totally unique new spin on things and they contribute completely new insights. Andrew, this is absolutely a case in point. Thank you so much for your time today. Yes, thank Pleasure. you. So that's it for today. As always, please do get in touch if you feel like you've got something different to say and you'd like to come on the podcast as a future guest. If you've also got any themes, topics, or people you'd like us to interview in future episodes, again, let me know. My email address is jake at chai-uk.com. If you enjoyed Time for Chai, I'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Today's podcast was produced by Alejandro Giron of Giron & Co Podcasting Services. Special thanks to my colleagues Stephen Butler, Chris Evans and Marcus Dixon. It was written and hosted by myself, Jake Jacobs. Have a great week. See you next time.